Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Hola and welcome back to Maximize Your Influence Podcast 281. Kurt Mortensen here. We're going to take a dive in how to spot those liars. Not so you can lie more, but so you can be a better influencer, better parent, better in every aspect of your life, and take a deep dive in that science. So hope everyone's doing well and achieving your goals. You've at least keeping score on your goals. If you're not keeping score on your goals, shame on you. You should know every day, am I closer or am I farther? Every week, am I closer or am I farther? If you're not doing that, you're not taking this seriously. You really have to take a look at those goals and what you accomplish. Are you progressing? Are you degressing? You have to know. You have to keep the score. That is a big aspect of being successful. Just my little plug for goals. As the year progresses on, I'm hopeful you're on track, achieving your goals, getting the things done that you want to get done. I'm rooting for you. Of course, a big aspect of that is persuasion and influence because everything you want in life is on the other side of persuasion and influence. So it's good to be back. I'm just getting back from the DR. That's the Dominican Republic for my international friends that are in the Caribbean. Beautiful island, beautiful people, beautiful food. Had a lot of fun, did some business there, some humanitarian work. It was beautiful, it was warm, did get a little sunburned, almost died a few times. Don't recommend renting a car there. <laughs> a lot of times driving through dirt roads in the middle of a jungle. I remember coming around a turn and almost hitting a donkey, a cart, a dog, a cat, a pig, a rooster, you name it, I almost hit it. Luckily, I didn't. And then driving in the big cities is a whole other thing. So you can park and a lane, just choose a lane and park. You can do that. The cars will go around you. And then you have to deal with mopeds, which are like, I don't know how to explain it. They're everywhere. And they're just zooming in and out of traffic. And just so you know, you can fit a family of six on a standard moped and a two by four. Just saying, a lot of fun. And made it back in one piece. But shout out to the people in the DR. Had a great time. And look forward to going back. And with the Dominican Republic, that brings up our Homer. Go. Don't, don't, don't. And some of you might consider this a persuasion ninja. This is what happens. I was watching this from the car, and there are other tourists that were driving. And in the big cities, at a red light, there's a countdown clock that says you have 60 seconds, 30 seconds, even 90 seconds sometimes. And there's these window washers. Whether you ask them or not, they are going to wash your window. And you see this in other countries, too. But this was a lot more aggressive. They knew when your window was down. And they used some techniques that might have been a little too aggressive to be using in the world of persuasion and influence. When they're holding on to your windshield wiper while they're asking for money with the intent that they're going to rip it off. If you're a tourist or even a local, you probably don't want that to happen. It's not worth a couple bucks for that to happen. When your window's down and their hand in the car and their eyes are glaring at you. I saw some that started to yell when they didn't think they were going to get a tip. They did a good job, but the challenge is that every light this happens, I saw some tourists get their windows washed three, four, five, six times. I even asked this one guy, I'm like, okay, look, it's a rental car. I don't care. The window's already been washed three times. Please, I beg of you, don't wash it. 
and they still did. <laughs> okay, so very aggressive techniques. And for a tourist, of course, being in a different country and not understanding the norms, that could be a challenge too. And the aggressive techniques, I mean, if someone's going to use fear and they're at that streetlight every day, of course, that's not going to happen. Now, when you're never going to see the person again and you're trying to take care of your family, some of you might think that's okay. I think that's probably a little aggressive. I like to use persuasion influence techniques that if you see the person again, you don't have to deal with anger, frustration, resentment, and their fist. Just saying, just thinking. But they had it down to a science. They made it happen. You decide, is that a persuasion blunder or a persuasion ninja? Then off to our geeky article of the week, coming from the Journal of Investigative Psychology and Offender Profiling, Dr. Susan Whitbourne and psychologytoday.com. The newest way to tell when someone is lying to you. So I've trained a lot of those that do negotiations, interrogations, police officers, and there's a lot of science done with the standard type of tools to detect deception. Usually they look at their nonverbals and their space and their voice and different things that you're doing. You're starting off with the, the nice chit-chat, everything's great, and you start getting into the more difficult questions to trigger emotions and get them nervous and tense. That's old school. That's what's taught, and it works. But they're adding another tool to the toolbox here because deception and lying is in the news. Man, you watch anything political, doesn't matter what side you're on or what country you're in, lying, deception, and people saying whatever they need to say to get what they want. It is a huge topic right now. In fact, the article talks about the lying in Congress of Michael Cohen, all the fake news accusations, the college admission scandal, when a friend gets a sudden illness when you need to move apartments, when the repair person says, oh yeah, we're, it's shot, we're going to have to replace the whole air conditioner or whatever it is. We get it. We see it. It's all around us. Let me add to that. The child that promises they're going to do better, they're going to get better grades, they're never going to do that again. The teenager that says they were studying at the library, promise of a callback, checks in the mail, my favorite, the one your mechanic says your blinker fluid is low, <laughs> okay? This is critical to learn how to read deception, to understand lying. Again, not so you can be a better liar, that's not my goal here, but to have more tools to realize that people are lying to you. Because when someone lies to you in a negotiation or in a persuasive situation, you got to ask yourself, all right, is this a momentary lapse of character? I'm okay with that. Or, or is this a major character flaw where I'm going to run? I don't want to work with this person. When you see this type of person, you have to ask yourself, okay, is it time to walk? Is it time to run? You've got to decide real fast when you see this type of behavior. So some experiments done in, around the world, one done in Italy, they felt that the old methods were faint and unreliable and that police officers interrogating suspects aren't very good at digging for the truth. Well, I would say some aren't. The ones that are really trained are pretty good at it. They use different techniques and different styles, but they still have the ability to detect deception. I mean, the science has been around for a long time. And they call it their techniques the small talk baseline technique, right? Where you, you know, the chit chat, you're getting to know them. It goes from easy to hard to fitting them against the wall. And they hope that they become nervous and they can start reading their body language. That's what most people are using right now. The next one they're talking about is the comparable truth baseline. And this is where you talk about a topic for a little while, move on to another topic. We're just chit-chatting, talking, and you go on to another topic. 
bouncing around from topic to topic. Then you go back to that first topic and say, all right, well, tell me a little bit more about that. Now, you did say, now, what did you say about that again? Now, what's going on here? Then you go to the next topic. And so you're bouncing around from these different topics, spending long periods of time, probably hours, going back and forth, different topics. Now, what did you say here? Now, remind me again. Now, add to this. You said this, and they use this to find discrepancies in their information, what they said to catch them basically in a lie or see different forms of truth or different pieces of the story that contradict each other. So they took a study where people were watching a videotape of people that were being interviewed to find out if they were lying or telling the truth. It was all around a treasure hunt. Did they find the safe deposit box? Did they have the key? Did they open the box? But they used both these methods. And the limitations here that if they're good liars and they've rehearsed what they're going to say and they're ready for what you're going to say and it doesn't bother them and they know your end game, they can create lies. They can talk in a way where it doesn't look like they're being deceptive. Like we talked about politicians, right? That's what they're good at. They've done it so many times it doesn't even phase them. So that's the drawback. But on the other hand, when you're interviewing somebody and you're using this method, this small talk method, you're looking at hand and finger movements, arm movements, spatial relationships. You're looking at visual details, the audio details, the action details. You're looking at the body language and how it's shifting and how it's changing. Now, of course, you had access to blood pressure and monitors and heart rate. That helps even more. So half use that method, and the other half use what's called the comparable truth baseline. All right, remember, you talk a little bit about a topic. You leave, come back. You leave, come back. Ask for more. Ask them to verify. And they did find those that used the comparable truth baseline actually did a little better than the others. Well, they claim that it's hard for people to keep a running tab on what details were revealed what they said, what they didn't say, did they make a mistake, did they say that, what happened, what really happened. And there's just so much bandwidth involved that you're going to find discrepancies, contradictions within what they said, which is a better baseline for you to detect deception. So they conclude that the verbal content is more diagnostic for detecting deception and lying than nonverbal behavior. What do I say? I say... Sure, that's great research, but I still think you need to use both. If you could add a couple more tools and do a little both during your interviews or when you're talking to people, you'll be much better in finding out if people are lying to you. And I want to continue on this, but that also brings us to our viewer email. Oh, boy! Lisa from Portland. Kurt, thanks for the podcast. Maximize your influence. I listen to it all the time. I recommend it to all my friends. Also, going through your negotiation power series, I have a question. I have teenagers, and I can't tell who's persuading who. Okay, I think that's true. I know you talked a lot about adults and deception, and detecting deception and lying is the same true with teenagers. Well, Lisa, I'm going to say yes most of the time. We've talked about this on the show before, about the frontal lobe, that to teenagers, their brain's not fully developed, so consequences of lying aren't going to have as big of an impact and it's more about doing or saying anything to get out of this right now okay those are things that what's different about the frontal lobe now one thing you can use with teenagers and you can use with adults too and we talked about in the study is the way you ask the questions now if your teenager says they're going to the library to study with their friends and you're like yeah right what they do and adults do this too is they rehearse all the questions they anticipate all right they're going to ask me what friends were with me what we studied, 
what we ate. Well, maybe we're not supposed to eat in the library, but they're going to re- rehearse these things. And so you just ask them those questions, right? What did you do? What's this? But then ask them one they're not ready for. What floor did you study on? And then you're just going to see it. Bandwidth of the brain kick in. They're not going to remember. They're going to just stutter. Those type of things, especially for teenagers, works very, very well. Because they don't have as much experience lying. That's a difference, too, than adults. But even with adults, if you could ask questions that they're not ready for, they haven't anticipated, that's where the magic happens as we learn how to find that liar. How do we spot the lie? So let's give you a few more tools, Lisa, to help you out here. And this is for everybody. Again, not how to become a better liar, but, you know, how to spot that person that's telling a lie. Now, first of all, okay, what is lying? What is deception? Some people deliberately misinform, they distort the truth, they leave out the truth, or they falsify information. That's deception. And it's good to have this thing I call a deception radar. It takes a little practice and concentration. You're so concerned about what you're going to say next and vomiting on the person, you're really not reading them or even trying sometimes to detect deception. And there's always deception leakage. Verbal, their voice, what they say, their nonverbals. There's always some type of leakage. There's too much going on. You can't control all of those things. And that's what you're looking for. Even if it's just a little micro-expression, you are asked something that makes you nervous. There's little things that happen within a fraction of a second that you can pick up on that's going to indicate deception. And when people are angry, that could increase deception. When people don't have very many skills, that increases deception. When their ego is threatened, that could increase deception. When you say, what did you do this weekend? And they didn't want to say you stayed home and ate ice cream all weekend. So they don't say that. They say all the places they supposedly went, all the friends they hung out with, all the cool stuff they did instead of telling you the truth. That could be a little minor deception. That could be an example of threatened ego. So the first red flag you want to think about with detecting deception is that They start avoiding you, the topic. They're taking longer to return emails. They start to get angry, red in the face, admitting facts, sometimes telling even too many facts. That could be a challenge. As you start seeing maybe some of those things, then you're like, all right, let's figure out how do we detect deception? How do we spot that liar? The first thing is, let's say you're going in face-to-face. There's there's no preconceptions, right? You're taking a neutral stance. They're not lying or telling the truth. And you're looking for their what's called their standard behavior. That's why in traditional negotiation or interrogation, hey, the weather, your family, how's it going? And the reason they're fighting your standard behavior. How much eye contact do you have? How are you sitting? Are you using a lot of vocal fillers? Just your standard. What's your standard behavior? What do you look like? What do you act like when you're not nervous? The key to deception is looking for clusters. Now, just because they touch their face doesn't mean they're lying. Just because they're not looking at you doesn't mean they're lying. Just because they're taking up less space in their chair doesn't mean they're lying. Just because you use more vocal fillers doesn't mean they're lying. But if you see all four of those, that's a cluster probably lying. That's the key. Not just one thing, but multiple things. And realize this too. This is human nature. And this piece alone will be very helpful to you. People who tell the truth are expecting to be believed. Did you catch that? People who tell the truth are expecting to be believed. They're, why wouldn't you believe them? They're telling the truth. But people who lie are always trying to verify and come back and, and in subtle ways to find out if you really believe them or not. And another fact is those that deceive, usually are the first one to accuse you of deceiving. You're like, where did that come from? Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's their own cover-up. 
and they want to do it first because they didn't think you were believing them. So as we go through this process, remember when it's happening, don't confront them. Don't call them a liar. <laughs> you want them to say calm and comfortable so you can read their body language. And also remember, it's also easier to lie to someone you don't like. So become more likable. And Lisa, that's different with teenagers, and that's a whole other thing. So that might be another difference, too, is when you're close in a relationship like that, it's different than when you meet a stranger. So let's take a look at some of those clusters that you're looking for. Now, with what we talked about in the study today, you could use a combination of both of these. As you get the information, see what's making them nervous and making them tense. You start with their eyes. Now, careful with the eyes, because that's the first people think about. They, like Your teenagers can start looking at you more. The prospects can start looking at you more. They're like, uh-oh, I can't look away, because they're going to think I'm lying. No, you found their standard behavior, and what usually happens is they're either looking at you way too much, forced eye contact, or they're avoid it completely. It's kind of, it's, so it's basically a different amount of eye contact, either a lot more or a lot less. Now, if you can see increased blinking, you see this with politicians, you go back and look at their lies, increased blinking, their pupils will dilate. That's a sign of nervousness. Now, the arms and shoulders, if they keep crossing and uncrossing their arms or just keeping their arms really tightly crossed is a sign of nervousness and tension, which could indicate deception. The shoulders are shrugged, will take up less space, another sign of nervousness. Or the shoulders are turned away. If you're standing up and their shoulders aren't squared up with you, that could be another one of the clusters that you're looking for. Talk about the legs. Crossing and crossing, crossing and crossing, wiggling, tapping. Could be part of that feet underneath the chair. Remember I said earlier, we talked about taking up less space, feet underneath the chair. Could be another indicator of deception. You're looking at their head, obviously. This is the one that we're best at controlling. The head starts to tilt a little more, or they do start touching their face a lot more. They uh, might be covering up their mouth as they talk. Maybe they're not happy with their teeth. Again, you're looking for clusters, but those are different things. Now, on the head, we have the mouth. If the biting of the lips starts or increases, if there's that fake smile or dry mouth, when people start to lie or get nervous, their mouth gets dry. In fact, in the Middle Ages, I don't remember what country it was, they put rice in your mouth to see if you're lying. And if it came out wet, you were okay. If it came out dry, liar, <laughs> burned at the stake. I don't know if you want to try that one, but hey, isn't that an interesting tidbit? The nose. Blood flow increases to the nose, so it might appear a little more red, which will cause them to rub their nose a little more or itch a little bit more, so touching the face, touching the nose. Then, of course, sweating. They start to perspire a lot more, but maybe it's hot. But you're not feeling as hot, so maybe it's perspiration. Physically, they move back. There's more space between you. Or they become more mechanical, more, call it robotic. Because what's happening here is they're more aware of their movements. Usually you don't think about your gestures and moving your arms and your eye contact and, and where your feet are. It's just there. Now you have to think about it because you're lying. And you look more mechanical. Or your body could be more rigid or more relaxed. Maybe they're just going to take it to the extreme. They're like, to be in, oh, I'm so relaxed because I'm not lying when they are. Or their movements will be more minimized. Their gestures aren't as big as they were. I mean, these are things you can look for in detecting deception. Now, Lisa, there's a lot more we could talk about. I've, in fact, I think we need to do a second podcast on this for you. It's your day on detecting deception because we need to go more into emotional intelligence we need to go into stalling mechanism. We need to go into eye movement a little bit more. We need to go in especially the voice. What happens to our volume, to our vocal fillers, 
to our rate of speech. That's all part of detecting deception. So I'm going to call it because of time today on detecting deception. A lot more I can talk about with the detecting deception, spotting that liar. But I do appreciate your email. It does work on your teenagers. I did use your email on the podcast. That means you get a free subscription to InfluenceUniversity.com, the video mastery program. And if you want more on detecting deception or their dirty deeds or the dark tricks in negotiation, that was podcast 270. Remember, the archives are available for free at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. But thanks for being here today. If you have a question, comment, rude remark, go to Kurt. That's K-U-R-T at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Remember, we're on YouTube, iTunes, and Spotify at Maximize Your Influence. Tell your family, friends, and enemies. And if you want to take your Persuasion IQ, check out the archives. Influence University, or even the free book, Maximum Influence. That's all at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. But hey, with that, master the skill. Become a little better at reading people and body language and spotting that liar. And go out and persuade with power.